Our scripture reading will be taken book of Philippians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Philippians 1, verse 18. And then, notwithstanding every way, whether in patience or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall be to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of the Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness is always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in the strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by, by, by my coming to you again. Apostle Paul was an amazing man. In my opinion, he was the greatest evangelist the world has ever known other than Christ himself. And his whole desire was to uh, please God, live for Christ, and take the greatest message the world has ever heard to those who would receive it. In fact, verse 18 of the passage before us describes Paul in just that way. Those of whom he spoke who taught the gospel for reasons other than faithfulness, he did not support the motives behind their preaching, but he rejoiced at the idea that the gospel was still being preached. He didn't live to exalt himself as they did. They lived to exalt themselves. They lived to uh, be patted on the back, but he didn't do that. He lived to exalt Christ. He lived because he wanted salvation and he wanted everyone who was given the opportunity to also have salvation. I think he lived his life based on a statement found in Acts 4 verse 12. Based on the truth that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now again, let's keep in mind those who preached for the accolades of other people, those who preached because of their jealousy of uh, the greatness of Paul, they still preached the gospel. Now, it was not a matter of substance. It was a matter of purpose. And they would be counted among those who would say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name 
done many wonderful works, Matthew 7, 22, only to be told, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, Matthew 7, 23. And that may very well have been the motivation by a statement that Paul made to those in Rome. He said, Thou therefore, Romans 2, beginning with 21, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest, a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? You had these preachers and teachers who were preaching for the wrong purpose, yet they were preaching the true gospel of Christ, and that didn't take away from the power of the message. People were still obeying the gospel and being saved, but they were not preaching to themselves. They were preaching against that type of an attitude, but they embraced that attitude. They preached against ungodliness, but they were living an ungodly life. And we see here that Paul wanted and desired to enter into eternity. But he also knew that the Philippian brethren needed him in this life. They needed him there to help them walk their walk of faith. And his dedication of and preaching and teaching inspired the sincere to work even harder, to go out and deliver that message more effectively, to gain others to Christ. Those who were not sincere did it to simply outdo Paul, maybe to make his suffering a little worse, but yet the gospel was still being preached and souls were being saved. Knowing all of that, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, death is a great loss to the carnal-minded, isn't it? Death is a great loss to those who uh, invest in worldly things without a thought of the spiritual realm, of which everyone will go to after this life is over. I think that was the problem uh, Demas faced, wasn't it, when he forsook God and Paul, 2 Timothy 4, 2. I like the way life has been described by one person. It's been described as the vestibule of death and eternity. Life is the waiting room. Death is the door into eternal life. Death is sad, isn't it? But it's very necessary. Just think for a moment how sad this life would be if we did not have the opportunity to to enter into the eternal realm with God's people. Think how awful this life would be if the vile and the wicked never ceased to exist in this world, but continued to live on and on, trying to thwart God's people at every turn. See, death is very necessary. Paul said if he did live, he would have more fruit of his labor because it would be produced in the Philippians and other people. And he didn't talk about that in a boasting way. That's simply the way it was. He worked and he labored among people and when they produced fruit, he was producing fruit. And he did it because he loved God. And it was at that point when he said, I'm in a strait. I'm in a strait here. I'm between wanting to go to paradise and wanting to stay and help the people. We need to understand what a strait is. Strait means you're being pressed You're being pressed. A straight means that you're being hemmed up, right? You're being hemmed up. Paul said that he felt pressed or hemmed between two choices. 
And it was very difficult for him to choose which one. Now, we don't need to understand. That statement means Paul had the choice. God was giving him the responsibility to choose whether to die or whether to live. Could Paul have uh, agreed to the charges against him and carted off to be put to death? Absolutely he could have. But that wouldn't have been true, would it? That would have been false. Paul would have been lying. It wasn't within Paul's responsibility whether or not he was going to live or die. That That's laid with God. But Paul still had a choice of which one he would prefer over the other, didn't he? Just like we do. Most of us, I think, would prefer to live. Absolutely, I think that's normal. But we also have a preference to go be with God, be with the faithful, don't we? He was merely talking about his desire. But it was in God's hand. Now, the title of the sermon this morning is, Does God Have You Hemmed In? Paul felt hemmed in because of the great dilemma that he faced. That's our first point. Paul was stuck in a strait between two very strong desires. He had a strong desire to go be with the Lord, he said. He had a strong desire to stay in the world, work with the brethren, and produce more fruit to God. He wanted to, he wanted to be with the Lord. He wanted to benefit the people. That was a tough choice. A man of such upstanding character, a man like Paul, that would be a tough decision, wouldn't it? Now let's understand a little bit about this word straight because it is very descriptive of the feelings Paul was having at that time. The word straight has been used to describe a besieged city. You have people on the inside who don't want to be out where the enemy is, but they want freedom. They want to be able to to go buy and trade and sell. The food's running out on the inside. There's no help or aid inside, but they don't want to go out with the enemy, but they don't really want to stay in here either. So they're stuck in a strait. They're being pressed on each side. They're being hemmed in. Uh... It's been described as a path between two points. A straight uh, might be something like a narrow channel. And we read about that with ships. A ship may have to go through a narrow channel or a strait, and it's very dangerous because you, you, have, uh, you have on both sides rocks or land or whatever the case may be, and you have to go right down the middle. And when you go through a strait on a ship, the waves are more dangerous. The current is much stronger. That's a dangerous place for a ship to be. But that's what a strait is. Those of us who grew up on a farm, we know what a cattle squeeze is, don't we? You you run a, a, a cow into a, a squeeze, and a lot of times it's made of a, a, a gate off a fence, or it's made of something wooden, but you... You run this cow into a narrow point and then they're hemmed in, they're squeezed. And then the farmer can administer shots, other kind of uh, medicinal procedures. They can dehorn a cow, they can do whatever they need to do, or a bull. And uh, that's a cattle squeeze. Well, you can't go anywhere, can you? You can't get away. And of course, it's also described as the prisoner who is confined within the walls of his cell. Now, that's where Paul was. That's where Paul was. He's locked up, but he still wants to go free. He's hemmed in. He's hemmed in by the walls of the uh, of uh, the prison. Perhaps the greatest example 
in the biblical sense of what a strayed is, is found in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The entrance onto the, the narrow path is straight. It's restricted. Not impossible to go in, but we have to manage ourselves. We have to control ourselves. It is restrictive. And so it presses on each side. Now, of course, the only difference between the uses of those examples of straight and the one Paul describes is he equally wanted both. He had a great love for the Philippian brethren. He wanted to stay. He wanted to go on and and be with the Lord because he knew that was uh, the best thing. So he was in a straight because he wanted those he, he loved in this life to receive the help he could give them. But really his straight lent itself to him wanting to be with the Savior. That was the ultimate goal, wasn't it? We can love as much as a person can love, but ultimately we want to go be with the Lord. We want all our loved ones and family members and friends and and people we know, we want them to go be with the Savior as well. And because of the faithful character of Paul, he was hemmed in by God, wasn't he? He was given uh, desires on both hands. Boy, he wanted one, he wanted the other. He didn't really know which one he wanted more, but ultimately he wanted to be with the Savior. He wanted so badly to be with those who were saved in eternity, didn't he? He knew all about the martyrs who had gone on before him. He had read about the brother of of Jesus, James. He knew about John the Immerser. He knew about all those who had given their lives under the, the, the reign and the terror of Nero, of whom he also ultimately gave his life. He wanted to be with them. Yet he wanted so badly to produce more fruit for Jesus because he loved the Lord. And he wanted to demonstrate that love here in this world and, and be faithful and to do more. He wanted in his mind, in a lot of ways, to try to make up in some way for the persecution that he did against the church. He called himself the chief of sinners. Now, he knew he wasn't, and he's not intending that he can work his way out of that, but he understood he owed something, and so he wanted to work. His body was in this physical world, but his heart was in eternity, wasn't he? He certainly was caught between two places. How many of us, being honest with ourselves today, could say, I want to go into eternity today. I want to go today. If I could choose, would I choose today to go into eternity? Can we say, I want to go because of my great love for God? Can we say, I am so confident in my salvation, I have lived up to the standard Christ has placed before me, People like Paul and the other faithful apostles who went before us, do I have the confidence that they have? You know, it's like the joke. The the preacher got up and asked how many people wanted to go to heaven, and one one fellow on the front row didn't raise his hand, and he said, You don't want to go to heaven? He said, Certainly I want to go to heaven. I thought you were getting a load up to go tonight. Didn't want to go tonight, right? How many of us honestly could say, I have confidence? I want to go tonight. How many of us pray that God come quickly? Because that's a prayer we read about in the Bible, isn't it? Lord, come quickly. Paul's confidence in his faithfulness was unsurpassed. But it wasn't arrogance. It wasn't arrogance at all. It was simply based on the facts. He knew that he knew God, 1 John 2, verse 3. 
He knew that he had obeyed the gospel. He remembered when he was in Damascus praying and weeping and fasting for three days and three nights. And that preacher Ananias came to him and taught him the gospel. He taught him what it meant to be a Christian. He learned what that meant and then he was born into the family of God. Not like his Jewishness. When he was born, he was born into the uh, family of God. Then he learned what that meant as a Jew. Not so with Christians. Christians learned what it means. Ananias went to him, taught him the gospel, preached the gospel to him. We see the the repentance in in what uh, Paul was doing or Saul at that time. He had met the Lord. He came to understand Stephen was right all along. And he was fasting and praying, demonstrating godly sorrow. He had already confessed that Christ was the Son of God on that road. But he was still lost. He could remember all of that. He wasn't arrogant. He knew when Ananias came in there and he said, Saul, Saul, Acts 22, verse 16, Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He knew he got up and did that. And just like that Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, he went on his way rejoicing. He knew that he knew God. And so he wasn't arrogant at all. He was faced with a dilemma. But he also had a great desire. That's our second point. <clears throat> Paul didn't have a death wish in any sense of the word. But he did have a desire. He did desire to escape the punishments of this life. Whether that be physically or otherwise. He wanted to escape those punishments. He wanted to go be with the Lord. But only because he knew there was a crown of life waiting for him. Second Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. That's what he wanted. He had a great desire to have liberty. He wanted to be free from the bondage of the prison in which he was in Rome. You see, there are a couple of different kinds of prison that a person can be in. We spoke of a prison last Sunday, didn't we? The prison of doubt. But Paul was in a Roman prison. He was in shackles. He had a Roman soldier shackled to him at the wrist. But that wasn't the only prison he was in. He was also in the prison of the physical body. And both of those were preventing him from gaining what he wanted to gain. He wanted to produce fruit in this life. He needed to be out of prison to be able to do that. He still produced fruit, but not the way in which he wanted to. And he wanted to gain eternal life. He wanted to go into eternity in the physical body was preventing him from doing that. He wanted liberty, and that was the strait in which he found himself. He thought, boy, you know, who among us says, I don't enjoy living? I don't think anyone who's reasonable would say that. That doesn't mean we don't have trying times in this life. We don't have despair. And and at times we think, well, maybe it'd just be better if I wasn't here. But maybe all people think that way when they're way in the dumps. But in general, what person says, I just don't like living in this world? I don't think most people feel that way. He wanted liberty from prison. He wanted liberty from this physical world, though, because he knew something was better. In fact, he said it this way. He said he had a desire to depart. That's a very very interesting statement. That's a, that's a wonderful word. To try to understand, let's look at this word depart for a moment. 
depart was a military term. That described the soldier who folded up his tents and went away. It was a military uh, term. Isn't that a wonderful depiction of the faithful Christian? We fold up this physical tent, this tabernacle of which Peter spoke, and we go on to be with God. It was a sailor's term. It meant to, to loosen a ship from its moors and set sail. We drop the, the chains of this life and we go into eternity. Isn't that beautiful? It was also a political term. It was described in setting a prisoner free. And that may very well have been what, uh, may have been what Paul had in mind. But remember, he was in a strait and he wasn't sure which liberty he wanted most. But finally, though, he summed up his desire to depart by saying he longed for liberty, but he really longed for liberty in the Lord. Would he like to have been out of prison? Well, absolutely. Only an unreasonable person wouldn't want to be out of prison. There was a fellow who was uh, from the area where Nicole and I are from, up in Fentress County, and, and he'd been in prison for years and in and out and in and out, and he became what is known as institutionalized. He couldn't make it in the real world. He couldn't make it where he had to make decisions for himself. He needed to be told what to do. So finally he got to the point where he wanted to go back to prison. So you know what he did? He went into a local bank, had a mask on, robbed him of a little bit of money, was very polite to him in the process, Turned, took his mask off, turned and faced the camera, and then was simply waiting on the porch for them to show up and get him. But that's not reasonable, is it? That's not what a reasonable individual would do. Of course Paul wanted out of prison. He wanted out of prison, but he wanted out of prison to be with the Lord. In fact, he said more than anything, he wanted to be with Christ, which is far better. The greatest life we can live in this world pales in comparison to an eternal life with Christ. Far better for Paul, but maybe not so much for those to whom he was writing. And he understood that. He understood that. To have Jesus is to have heaven. Think about that. The saved will be with the one who gave his life for them. For eternity. Never ending. And will live eternally in his presence. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. That's why Paul could say to those in Corinth, and I think he makes a beautiful statement, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. He said, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now how do we know Paul knows what he's talking about? Paul was caught up to the third heaven, wasn't he? He came back, it wasn't lawful for him to describe in detail, but he could make this general statement, you haven't heard of it, you haven't seen it, and you can't think it up. The wonderful things that God has prepared for us in heaven. That sounds like a place we all would like to be in eternity, doesn't it? You see, Paul was faced with a dilemma. He had this great desire to go be with the Lord, but he also knew he had a debt to pay. That's our third and final point. Now this is the other side of the situation. Paul was tired and worn out from his labor. There's no doubt about it. He wanted to be set free from prison. He was tired of being mistreated. 
That shows the humanity of Paul, doesn't it? But he didn't give up. He didn't stop. He wasn't going to throw in the towel. But he also understood he had a debt that needed to be paid. A debt that could never be paid, but one that he needed to continue in to show his appreciation to God. Would he have been better off to have died in that prison cell? Absolutely. Absolutely. He had a crown. But he also had a debt. I think that's a a lesson in itself. He knew he was needed right then and right there. And he did what he needed to do without murmuring, without complaining, without fussing or grumbling. Laboring in the field of Jesus is something that we do whether we've had a good day or a bad day. Serving God is to be done whether we feel good today or we don't feel good today. Have you ever woken up what has often been described as on the wrong side of the bed? Have you ever gotten out of bed with a with a sorry attitude? Have you ever gotten out of bed sick and tired of being sick and tired and feeling like that the world is against you and woe is me and I don't feel good and no one treats me nice and so-and-so didn't speak to me? Have you ever felt that way? I think we all probably have. But I like to consider this. I think Jesus would have rather not gone to the cross if there had been a better way. In fact, I know He wouldn't. If there could have been a better way, he would have chosen that way if it kept him off of the cross. That's why he asked the Father, please remove this cup. Not my will, but thine be done. And the writer of Hebrews says he did it with great tears and crying. So when I get up on the wrong side of the bed and I have a sorry attitude and I feel like I've been mistreated and I've been working so very hard and I've got so much to do, Maybe I ought to think about what Christ did for me. That's what Paul was doing. The man was in prison waiting to be murdered. He didn't know which way it was going to go. He said, I've got faith through your prayers that I'll have salvation. He wasn't talking about eternal salvation. He already had that and he was faithful and he knew that. He was talking about whether or not he would be let out of prison. Now, he was let out of prison, fortunately. But he went back not too long after that, and he was murdered. I think that's a wonderful lesson. We serve whether we want to serve or not. Paul had a labor that he had to involve himself with because he had a debt that he paid to God. And part of that debt and part of his labor was to lead other folks, wasn't it? Lead other folks to Christ. Let them understand what he had. He knew that he was the one who could do that. He knew he was the conduit that God had chosen. Christ chose him specifically like he did all the other apostles. He had great things in mind for Paul. And boy, did he do great things. He did wonderful things. He did amazing things. I can't imagine the kind of person Paul was... Wouldn't it have been wonderful to even been in his presence to heard him speak? He stood up. He was a man, no doubt about it. He knew that God was going to use him, and he was willing to be used up. Can we say that? Can we say that today? Can we say God wants to use us for his glory? I think some people say, okay, you can use me a little bit. 
I've got other things I need to be worried about. I've got other things I need to do. Not Paul. Paul said, use me up. Use me up. Take the last drop because I owe it to you. I've got a debt. It's a labor I do. I can lead other people to you. What a person. What an amazing individual. Each of us should show that same grace and gratitude toward God. It's unmatched. We can't match what he did, but we can certainly try to pay our debt. Paul is such a great example to the Christian. Not only for his faithfulness, but also for his sweet nature and for his wonderful work ethic. Boy, can you imagine? I can't imagine Paul, even when he withstood Peter to his face, recorded in the the book of Galatians. He wasn't ugly to Peter. He had a sweet nature. He disagreed with, with Barnabas on one occasion, didn't he? To the point that they decided they wouldn't work together any longer. But what happened? Well, that just put two missionaries out into the field, and they went and got different partners, Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas. He had a sweet nature. We ought to try to do that too. No complaining, no murmuring, and no fussing. He understood the very reason why God saved him and why He saves those who obey Him. He told those in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, verse 10, God saved us to work. That was part of His part of His debt, wasn't it? He saved each of us. And we owe Him a debt of service. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 18. He saved us and each of us will be rewarded according to the proportion of our labor. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We're not working our way into heaven, but we will be rewarded in proportion to our labor. We read that in the, the, the parable of the talents, don't we? He saved us because we live in a world that's lost and condemned to a devil's hell for all eternity unless they obey Him. And that's part of our debt as well. We've been entrusted with the greatest message and mission the world has ever known. And it is our duty. It is our duty to deliver that message because we owe it to God and to those around us. We owe it to each other, the saved and the unsaved. While we remain, we still long for our eternal home, but we have to labor in the field where we are. Has God hemmed us up? Do we have such a great desire to to work and bear fruit and at the same time wanting to go on and be in eternity? Do we have the confidence and the faithfulness of Paul? I want to go right now. Or do we have something in the back of our minds that say, well, I'm really not ready to go right now. Well, we need to do something about that, don't we? You know, again, that doesn't mean that that we look forward to death simply because we want to go be in eternity with, with God and, and with all those who faithful went on before us. But it does mean that we long for that great experience, not death itself. Everybody has some kind of apprehension about that, but the result is unparalleled. It's difficult sometimes, isn't it, that question, am I ready to go? It's difficult, but Paul said, examine yourself. You know whether you're in the faith. Have I lived in such a way to attain heaven? 
If we were tasked with filling in these blanks, if we were to repeat the statement that Paul made, how would we do it? For me to live is blank and to die is blank. Please consider that as we stand and as we sing.